I'm surprised this kind of thing doesn't happen more often, all right? I'm surprised that creatures of one sort or another don't find themselves, find their ways into airplane cockpits and then, you know, when you least expect it, right? Um, You saw this story, right? How often do you fly with animals, Jack? Well, I've, I've had insects creep out from from you know like you know not deadly insects but 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 uh, Un- unwelcome nonetheless unwelcome insects insects that were gonna i've told the story i'm sure i told it on the podcast one of the one of my Never early before was it so salient as it is yeah, today one of my one of my earliest uh, training sessions when when i was doing my primary training um and uh and it made it it was within a few lessons of this that my instructor had given me the ground school lesson on you know kind of focus no matter what happens in the airplane you got to like really keep flying the airplane and the example he used was a, a fatal crash that they concluded was the result of a, a wasp being in the cockpit and just freaking everybody out all right and and so and they all just went nuts and so now we're we're fl- doing pattern work at palo alto and we're cruising along fat dumb and happy on downwind you know kind of getting ready to do our thing and suddenly a big honking wasp just kind of crawls out onto the onto the uh, the panel onto the uh, the top of the panel and uh, and i'm looking at him you know and i kind of look to my instructor and i say okay i'm cool that's fine all right well my instructor proceeds to like go nutty about this wasp all right mm-hmm. he takes a sectional and he starts to roll it up and he starts to bat at this wasp and i'm going what are you doing stop it you're going to get him mad at me don't do this and so he's waving at the wasp trying to get it to go out the window and and, uh, and the wasp eventually kind of disappeared, but we never actually saw it go out the window, you know. And uh, um, so I was fine with this, but my instructor was the one who kind of like went a little crazy about the fact that he found a, a foreign creature. But this one would have freaked me out, too. This is the story about a for real snake on a plane. Uh, yeah, a rolled up sectional probably won't cure that. The, the snake, no. And this snake not only crawled out. So where was this? This was like... Uh, Australia. Australia, right, where they have real snakes. Uh, and uh, Well, they do, but <laughs> they, they do, but, you know, they're not, you know, of the same kind we have. Right. You know, some of them are just as benign and some of them are as uh, uh, deadly as some of our stuff. I mean, this is a country that has rattlesnakes and coral snakes and... Uh, I don't count water moccasins in, in mm-hmm. uh, Australia. You mean, yeah? No, here, here. here. Yeah, well, United no, we States do here America, too. Yeah. You know, the North America, you right? This no, no, place. yeah, here, here. Okay. Anyways, it's just west of where you live. Yeah. So this guy, this guy was apparently flying a a Baron um, on a cargo mission of some sort in Australia, and uh, and and soon after taking off, uh, he, I'm I'm doing this from memory because I haven't opened. I should probably open the story, but uh, soon after takeoff, uh, a snake crawls out from behind the panel or something like that. All right, and he sees it on the on the dashboard there and he immediately says he says um tower i'm coming back to land and i and let me find this story because there was a line in this story that just i thought was just priceless <laughs> he he basically called called controllers and said i've got a snake in the plane and and to me i just can imagine the controllers kind of breaking up laughing and go yeah right, right. sure you do right. you know uh, we saw that movie too right um but uh, not, not only not only that but this is apparently a local television news story and um 
I just, it, it, okay, you know, a guy with a baron had a problem with a snake, and he turned around and came back and landed. And and it's it's not only local news, it's national news, and now it's international news. Well, it wouldn't be if it weren't for the movie. The movie is what makes it international yeah, I'm, news. I'm not well, so sure where, about that. Where, where is Samuel L. Jackson when you really need him? I know, right. <laughs> David, you don't think this would be a big story? I absolutely think it would be a, a niche story. Uh, that wouldn't have near the legs if it didn't have the roots in the movie. <laughs> yeah, okay, it, this is a snake with legs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think we're we're kind of scraping the belly here, you know. To, to, uh, <laughs> well, but you know, think we're, about we're really we're in a situation. Of- what tools will you put to work for yourself if you're sitting in an airplane and and a creature crawls out like that, that you're worried could you know do uh, uh, deadly damage to you. Are you going to hand fly the airplane, or are you going to keep it on flight director and put it in heading mode? Well, I don't know. Well, Go it, ahead, it, Jeb. It, Jeb? It, it really depends on the on the animal. Um, snake is probably <laughs> about the worst case scenario. Uh, you know, if we're talking about a couple of kittens, I'm not too stressed. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we could do a back, you know, a Gordon Baxter and just chunk them out and, and, and worry about it later. No, no, no. Okay, that's another story, too, actually. But, uh, all right, so, so, but, so, so the but, guy found a snake on the airplane. And I mean, are we talking alligator, gila monster, dinosaur, rattlesnake? What kind of what kind of animal are we talking about? And I would suggest also that, you know, uh, popping open the door and, and letting it suck itself out or something is is not a bad strategy. I guess I don't know. I you know. Well, it, 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 I was thinking in terms of the kind of nerves that might set in and what might the airplane feel like and respond like if it was picking up on those on on those physiological reactions. You know, you get into some shakes and you're trying really hard to stay calm, but everything's just kind of getting away from you. Now you're going crazy and. Push the button, put it on flight director, turn it on heading mode. Well, I, but he apparently, let's see if it says where he was in the flight. I got the feeling from re, when I read the story that he was like pretty early in his flight. I got that. Yeah, he turned around. Pushed the went, autopilot. Went back, put it yeah, on yeah so, he just, just left the Darwin Airport. There you go. There you go. Yeah. He said to the controller, the quote here is he said to the controller, I'm going to have to return to Darwin. I've got a snake on board the plane. All right. And I just. Have this image of the controllers yeah. just rolling around on the floor. Oh yeah, they're they're he like a, he was a few minutes out. I might. What's the problem? You can't <laughs> handle a small snake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. This isn't a snake. This is a snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Jack, it, your uh, your wasp story reminded me of uh, second sun and fun uh, it, for in my experience, and was getting to fly some airplanes and. They had, as a runway, that taxiway that runs from in front of the old media center about halfway to Choppertown. Right. That was the ultralight runway. Really? And where, where Vintage parks airplanes and airplane camping now was where the vendors were all set up. And it was the year when they had 300-plus airplanes uh, tied down on the field and a uh, you know, out somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 vendors selling these bloody things. Uh, all these demo flights going on, all these guys that had brought their little airplanes in, they're doing flyouts. And the open flying period in the afternoon is, is going on. We've got about 20 minutes before the air show closes us down. And there must be 80, 85 airplanes circling the pattern that uh, trying to get in there. We're not allowed to go over the Piper plant. Uh, can't get north because then you get 
close to 927. And south, well, that's where the warbirds were coming in. So we kind of stuck to ourselves there. And a bumblebee came through the arc of the propeller of the weed hopper that I was flying back from Circle X and stung me in the arm that was holding the control stick. Oh, yeah, okay. And I'm allergic. Oh, better yet. And it was like, what a perfect time to uh, test the, uh, the, the the slip and fast descent uh, capabilities of a weed hopper, which are about the same as its straight-ahead descent. Uh, you just pull <laughs> the engine back, and it comes down fast. Yeah, okay. Um, did you say 80 or 85 airplanes in the pattern? Is that what you said? Yeah, it was actually a higher number than that. No that way. was just the number in the pattern when I got there. That's a lot of airplanes. Yeah, there were steps taken after that to kind of meter the uh, uh, the number of people that were released to go out and do this at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, it got a little uh, crowded. Really, you think? And the nice thing was nobody was going much faster than 45 or 50. I don't know how that helps exactly, but I suppose it helps some. Yes, um, but the closure rate, of course, is, you know, 90 to 100. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so the snake guy. The snake guy uh, called the tower and said, I'm coming back. And the, the snake crawled out and actually crawled onto his leg while he was on final, which just, you know, I, I don't know. I would have been dead before I hit the ground if, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know. You know, it, it uh, yeah. That, so that, that admittedly is getting into uh, 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 an area dangerous to the underwear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But then now, so apparently he lands successfully, safely. All right, gets out of the airplane, and now they can't find the snake. The snake has disappeared. And it's just waiting to go flying. Take it up, flying. No, they they found the Wait snake. Wait for it to come the, out. The, the next to last graph in the story is wildlife ranger Sally Heaton said the snake was suspect. Oh, suspected. Suspected. Yeah. Okay, see, you're right. I, you're right. I, I think that's based on just a description of it, and uh, so. Uh, <laughs> So <laughs> it says that it says that this pilot in question did in fact go flying again pretty soon after that, but it's not clear whether he flew that airplane. I got to figure that airplane is still sitting on the ramp there right? no, because nobody wants is, to go this flying. Is, this is this is silly. They can't find a snake in a barren. I don't know. This is this is not a brain guy uh, science territory. This is not rocket surgery. Um. There's only so many places, you know, it can be. Um, they the story says a trap baited with a mouse, and there's a there's a switch, of course. Uh, a trap baited with a mouse failed to catch the snake by Thursday, and the plane remained grounded. Yeah. Um, yeah, it may not like mouse. I don't know. I don't, I, I, maybe put it in a hangar and like fumigate the hangar or something. Something like know. that. Smoke it out. Exactly. Smoke right. Smoke it out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Uh, okay. Blow a little uh, corrosion X into it. Uh, That'll fix it. Yeah. That'll slip your little level. Figure <laughs> those nice warm wires coming off the back of the G1000 display. Yeah. That's, that's probably where he was. That that's probably well, where he yeah, was. He was tangled up in the wires. See, yeah. You know, that's, that's the other thing. It's not like, you know, he's going to be chewing on wires. Uh, no, a. probably not. B. If we already pretty much know, and, and of course this this wildlife ranger could be mistaken, um, uh, it's a not. She says it's a non-venomous snake. Um, so what's the problem? I say uh, take it flying, wait for it comes like out, tires, catch it like with a pair of tongs, and make it buy guys. a ticket. Yeah, it's time to rock and roll. 
Okay. Time to waste it. All right. Well, we'll remember that next time. And Jack, remember one thing, Jack. Yeah. It, it, you just ask yourself this question. Have you ever been stung by a dead bee? <laughs> Great movie. Welcome, folks, to episode 281 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise that's yeah right. this that's is right. this is the best seat in the house that's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. Now. does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear around tricky vessel ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and alpha we're recording this episode on uh, Thursday, April 5th, I think, uh, 2012. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are my two good friends. Uh, 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 the, the, the travel situation is a little switched around this time, so uh, let, me, let me explain. Uh, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from his home base in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing tonight? Doing lovely. Doing lovely. Uh, catching up with friends. I mean, it's been days. Uh huh. Yeah. It's oh yeah. So you're only back from Sun and Fun a couple of days now, right? And uh, yeah, got home uh, Monday evening uh, early enough to uh, say hello to the uh, neighbors and have dinner with the bride, and uh, then sleep about fourteen hours. Yeah, tell me about it. And uh, and also uh, here tonight is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's coming to us today from the belly of the beast. He's inside the Washington D.C. special flight rules area. That's right. That's uh, right. The forces of darkness are are, are all closer. all around you, right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you flew up on uh, what was it Monday morning? You flew up yeah. to well, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Morning's relative. Time. Monday afternoon, uh, you flew up there to. You're attending a, a, a conference up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association. Is having their uh, uh, annual uh, convention and, and meeting here. Great show. Yeah, it is a great show. Um, talk about a little bit more of that maybe later. But uh, um, And they graciously invited me up to um, help them cover uh, the show, mm-hmm. do some articles for their magazine and whatnot. And uh, so uh, here I am inside... Uh, Inside ground, well, I almost like ground zero. That's that's inappropriate. No, yeah. Here I am inside the um, the belly of the beast, man. The belly of the beast, the uh, the the uh, the target, um, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, um, silly season. Um, yeah, I, well, there is uh, that, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, I want to ask you more about that, but first of all, just let me quickly say I'm Jack Hodgson, and and I, I and and the funny travel thing I was referring to is it's usually it's me on the road talking yeah. to you from a hotel Wi-Fi, but yeah, but you, you snaked that one right in, didn't I, you? Yeah, but but Jeb's the one uh, traveling right now. I'm back actually now uh, back at UCAP Spring headquarters uh, on the Evergreen slopes of Garrison Hill in Dover, New Hampshire. One of the last ep- couple episodes, maybe do two or th- two. Two more episodes, I bet, from here before I uh, I relocate back to uh, Lookout Point. Oh, that's right. You're gonna. Oh, that's right. It, it is spring up there, or, or about to be. <laughs> it's my compare. Well, I don't know. You know, it, it's nothing. I tell you, I spent the last two days down there in, at Hidden River, just just enjoying the heck out of the weather and the pool and uh, the sunshine, and it was gorgeous. And I came back here. It's very very nice for spring in New England, but it's just a real. <laughs> come down after uh, after spending yeah. all that time in 85 90 degree weather and you know i, I got dressed this morning because i got back late last night and, 
And uh, I got dressed this morning and realized that I was putting on long pants for the first time in two weeks. And I just, you know, had been totally into the Florida thing ever since I got down there. So anyways, so you flew up to uh, to the D.C. area. Now, you didn't actually fly the Debbie into the Cifra, right? You you avoided that thing. I, I did, actually. Oh, you did? Uh, remember, we're talking about... Um, um, two different layers of airspace. Yeah. The, uh, the special flight rules area or CIFRA uh, basically is is co-located with the uh, class Bravo airspace from mm. the surface to 18,000 feet. The flight restricted zone or freeze is uh, basically the inner circle right. of CIFRA. Um, the CIFRA encompasses uh, Manassas uh, Airport, where I used to be based and where I, in fact, landed this trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, while the, the freeze uh, encompasses uh, National Airport as well as what I call the DC-3 airports. With, they're actually in Maryland, but DC-3 just you know sounds better, yep. uh, which are uh, uh, Potomac Airfield, Hyatt Executive, and College Park. Okay. Uh, I have the paperwork to to fly into those three airports, but uh, by almost by definition, uh, they don't have rental cars because yeah. they don't have a whole lot of transient. They don't traffic. have a lot of yeah. yeah so I need, uh, I need a rental car. Okay, then I stand corrected because I was under the impression that Manassas was outside of the Cifra, um, no, but no, I, I I stand corrected. It's, it's not in by much. Yeah. Well. It's 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 not. I don't know. I'd say it's about halfway, maybe a little bit uh, less than halfway, from the uh, outskirts of the Cifra down to the um, the border of the Freeze. Um, I you know I got my iPad sitting here downloading charts, uh, updating itself. But mm-hmm. uh, now I have two questions for you about the uh, about the trip up there, the flight up there. Okay. Um, f- first of all. Uh, the arrival. So, what's involved in landing in in the Cifra? Let's not talk about the freeze. Let's not, not talk about the one that requires you know the right. secret code ring and the you know all that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to kill you if I talked to you. Right I, I understand. But just to get into the Cifra, get into the outer area. Uh, what uh-huh. sort of special things do you need to do in order to, to fly into that area? Well, there's first things you need to do is uh, review the notum. Uh, and there is a notum, mm-hmm. um, but there's also now uh, this this airspace. I, some people call it silly space. It is all silly, but nevertheless, this it is a real deal. Uh, this airspace has been formalized to the extent that there is uh, there are now regulations. There are two regulations um, uh, regarding it. Um, I, I, I can't. I'm not going to give you the citations because I don't remember them. Uh, I think one of them is in Part 93, and the other one is part is in Part 91, but uh, maybe 61. But the punchline in all of that is uh, there are certain um, special rules uh, that apply. One of them is that to operate in this airspace under VFR, and I think it's actually within 60 miles of the Washington uh, Vortac, 60 nautical miles of the Washington Vortac, you have to um, take and pass an online training course Mm -hmm. sponsored by the FAA. Right. And um, um, it's a fairly easy um, course. I don't know, maybe it's 20 20 multiple guest questions. Um, and uh, you get a, a certificate to print out and put in your in your records and whatnot. But you have to have passed that course uh, to legally operate VFR 
within the SIFRA. Okay. Now, you'll notice I, I mentioned VFR right. within the SIFRA. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this may explain something I saw you do that was a little unusual. Tell me what you did. I filed an IF, I filed a pickup an IFR um, somewhat south of Washington, but uh, did not file did not fly IFR the whole way. Yeah, that's right. I because you, you were there. You were there on on the phone with the briefer, and and you and it was funny because I was listening, you know, and and it was you know morning, you know, late morning, and you were getting ready to launch, and you're filing this flight plan, and I heard you say that the beginning of the flight was six o'clock in the evening, and I'm thinking, right. well, that's odd, you know, and and uh, and and then you said the duration of the flight was thirty minutes, and I go, oh wait a minute, that's what the heck, and then I start to think about it for a little while, and I jumped to the conclusion apparently correctly which it doesn't happen very often uh, <laughs> that uh that this was some sort of security related thing and that you needed an ifr flight plan but you didn't want it you didn't necessarily want to get onto it until you were you know nearby i i didn't need an ifr flight plan per se i needed a flight plan it could have been an ifr flight plan or it could have been what they call it a vfr cifra flight plan which for all intent and purpose is Basically, an IFR flight plan without the separation standards and without the weather uh, minima. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it's the IFR flight plan for people who aren't instrument rated and who shouldn't be filing IFR flight plans. Well, well yeah, but it only applies to the CIFRA. Okay. Right. Um, only applies but, to the CIFRA. Right. Um, so rather than um, the thing, the thing with doing this VFR that I have found over the years and. God, it has been years um, going in and out of the CIFRA from to, to and from Manassas and other airports in the area when I lived up here. Um, was that um, uh, the 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 CIFRA clearance and the CIFRA rules for VFR operations are are pretty much the 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 embodiment of uh, a bastard child. Uh, because you have all of the um, uh, filing requirements, you have all of the um, communication and transponder squawking requirements, you have all of the um, uh, other regulatory requirements, as uh, like taking this course and, and all this kind of thing. But you don't have no benefit other than, of course, not you know being an enforcement issue or or getting shot at or uh, uh, um, you know whatever. Um, Plus, you know, there are some other things that apply to all this that uh, um, just make it all much more simple to file IFR in and out of the CIFRA. Mm-hmm. Um, you get separation. You get, um, um, you know, better service. Uh, all this kind of stuff uh, going in and out of the CIFRA under IFR when you, when you don't get any of that uh, doing a VFR. So your arrival into uh, the uh, the CIFRA was uh, uneventful, or how did that go? It was it was relatively uneventful. Um, um, in fact, I had um, um, had been talking to uh, Washington Center, um, obviously got getting flight following for a long time, and uh, I had filed to to pick up the IFR over the Gordonsville Vortec, which is uh, I don't know. Um, just this side, just the D.C. side, I guess, of, of the Richmond, Virginia area. And one thing led to another, and I'll, I'll kind of get into that a little bit later perhaps. One thing led to another, and I picked it up early and, um, um, you know, climbed up to my IFR altitude and, and motored on in. Um, as it turned out, 
uh, I think half of the AOPA um, uh, fleet uh, of airplanes was was airborne in the same general vicinity. Uh, Craig Fuller was flying the Husky back from Sun and Fun. Someone else was in their caravan. And there was a, a third airplane involved. I don't remember. It wasn't the Citation. I know that much. But they, they were kind of forming up around the Charlottesville, uh, Virginia area to do a little impromptu uh, uh, photo session or something like yeah. that. The results of which they posted on Facebook. But I was on the frequency to hear them trying to form up. On oh, really? That, so. That's interesting. Yeah. I saw that picture. I believe yeah. it was the uh, the award husky, right? right? It was it was the right. he was the flying sweepstakes his, airplane. The sweepstakes. Right. He was flying. Uh, Fuller was flying his husky. The caravan. Oh, the yeah. caravan was there, and then the sweepstakes husky was the third that's airplane. Yeah. yeah, and Fuller was crowing about a a, a a a serendipitous picture that he took that he thought he was just taking a picture out the window of the caravan, I guess, right. but. Right. But by by chance, he caught apparently the reflection of the husky, you know, on the other side or something like that. Anyways, so you heard all that. It's interesting. Well, I didn't. I didn't hear all of it. I I, I heard the caravan pilot, you know, um, canceling IFR and telling the controller he was going to try to loiter a little bit in the Charlottesville area and, and wait for some some company traffic. And then, uh, um, you know, he's. He's talking to the other aircraft on a, on a different frequency, of course, and trying to coordinate things, and comes back up on the Tracon frequency and, and is asking if, uh, if they're painting any traffic coming up behind him. And uh, about that time, both me and the controller got really busy because uh, um, some you know I don't know what is I don't know what is up with the Manassas Tower, but they after all these years they still haven't gotten their act together. Um, they were just running behind, and there's some guy in a Citation doing, you know, 250 knots trying to get into Manassas and couldn't see the airport and da 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 and I'm cleared in to follow the citation. Well, I can't find the citation. The sucker's moving at 250 knots. Yeah. And uh, um, and then apparently the citation did a little course reversal because he was high and hot and vectored south of the airport. And, and I, it, was, it was a little bit of a mess, but, uh, you know, I, I'm so accustomed to, shall we say, non-standard arrivals going in and out of Manassas that it was it was uh, it was really a nothing burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But. Now the other thing I wanted to ask you about your trip that day was so I I spent that day. Thank you very much, by the way. Uh, I, cool. I spent that day sitting by your pool, uh, uh, doing various surfing the web and working on podcasts and uh, taking little dips in the pool. It was a wonderful day. All right, but one of the things I did throughout the day was to uh, snoop on. I mean, excuse me, observe your uh, progress on the internet, uh-huh. and uh, and and my made my my primary observation is that the the debonair was not zipping along at its normal high rate of ground speed. No, it was not. What uh, was that we were, all about? What was going on? That was one of the bumpiest. Um, it was like it was like a bad roller coaster for like four hours. Really? Yeah, it was. It was just it had you know. 20, 25 knots on the nose average the whole way. Oh, man, uh, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and bumpy, and, you know, you, you basically I try, I'm trying to run the airplane top of the green, and um, it was continuous uh, light. I would call it light light turbulence. You know, things weren't bouncing around the cabin, but uh, uh, it, it was that kind of a day. And it was also the kind of day where, you know, if you're trying to run the airplane at the top of the green and you got, you know, kind of this, 
these bumps and everything going on. Every now and then you're going to have excursions into the yellow arc, and every now and then you're going to have excursions down, you know, well into the green arc. And it was just a it was just a long afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a long afternoon in a, in a lot of ways. All of that having been said, we're still talking about four plus thirty from Sarasota to Manassas. So oh, that's yeah. not too shabby. No, no, no. Especially no, when you can, consider I, I took the airlines home the couple, yeah. couple days later, and uh, and and this is not totally the airlines' fault, but but just door to door from leaving the place where I was staying in Sarasota to arriving back here at, at Garrison Hill was sixteen hours. It was a long day. You could drive oh, it in that almost, almost, almost. I was going to well, say, start and, and, the start the meter when you arrive at the first airport. Yeah, yeah. In well, the meter and, when you leave the last. Yeah. Airport. Well, it was half of that sixteen hours. Literally half of that sixteen hours was sitting in airport terminals, yeah. um, partly okay. because okay. of the of the ground transport that uh, that I I had available to me, which was a tremendous favor, by the way. But it did get me to the airport much earlier than I needed to be there, and then there was a huge layover in the middle between the two flights. Um, and uh, the upshot. Did you good, go back through Charlotte? No, I went through Atlanta, and ah. uh, I was on Delta going back. Uh, I was on on uh, U.S. Airways coming down and Delta going back. Um, the good news is that my trip, uh, the, uh, you know, and the reason I'm not complaining too much about this long day is that the the, the trip back, the airfare, was a hundred and forty dollars. Seriously? Yeah, it was a great. It was a uh, just a That's nutty, a magical fare. Um, but the trade-off was that there was a huge, huge lay. It was like a four-hour layover in the middle of it, and uh, oh well. Um, oh, a friend of mine used to track his travel times on airlines and in his own airplane. Very fastidiously, put him into a spreadsheet and all that, and he started the clock when he locked his front door. <laughs> And stopped his clock when he walked in the place where he was going. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether he was flying the airlines, whether he was flying his personal airplane. And what he found was, in general, flying the airlines, that the elapsed time involved, clearing security and all that stuff, uh, gave him an average trip speed of somewhere in the 75-mile-an-hour range on yeah. the airlines. Mm-hmm. On the airlines. Uh, when he flew himself, it came up considerably better to about ninety, ninety-five miles an hour. No, I believe that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I believe that too. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, it was, a- it, and it was one of those where he was going a lot slower in route, but he was going so much more direct and spending so much less time sitting that he actually wound up with a higher average speed uh, in flying a slower mode of transportation. Sure. I love that story. That's, that's yeah, that's a good story. It's a, it makes a really didn't, significant didn't, point here. Didn't Aesop do that story, something involving a rabbit and a, a tortoise and a, and a hare? Yeah, it was on Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, that's right. Of course, Rocky and Bullwinkle, where, where all of... All of our cultural development really came from. Yeah, but it would, but it shouldn't be a tortoise and a hare. We got to think about this for a second. It would be like a, like a, a, a fly and a sparrow or something like that. You know, we need, a, we need two flying creatures. If you're going to go that route, you have to up at three G. Yeah, d- if, Jeb. If you're going to go that route, you have to work in a snake. <laughs> okay. Hey, David. David, you came home by way of personal airplanes too. Can you tell us anything about that? 
Yeah, uh, it was easy. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jeff, uh, who was uh, involved in doing some uh, research work on his trip there uh, to Sun and Fun, he came down uh, quite, a, quite a bit later than I arrived in Florida to, to start working down there and was nice enough to uh, be able to offer me a little space in his airplane coming home. And as it worked out, we didn't come home direct from, like, well, actually Plant City. He arrived uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, and because of his work commitments elsewhere, couldn't leave until a time that guaranteed he wouldn't be able to get in because of the air show. So he just arranged everything around landing at Plant City, which a Citation Mustang does very nicely. Fits right in. Uh, Land Plant City picked up his rental car there, uh, did the show. We met up where I turned in my rental unit there at uh, Lakeland Linder, uh, the easiest it's ever been there. And uh, we hauled over to uh, Plant City, fueled up his airplane, did a pre-flight little weather briefing, and made the enormous jump to Sarasota, <laughs> <laughs> where <laughs> at ATP Jet. Uh, we uh, picked up uh, the uh, uh, Jeff's parents. Ah, okay. We've been down there visiting some friends. And uh, then we flew them to Spirit of St. Louis. So Spirit, to San, Spirit of St. Louis to, uh, uh, I mean, from Sarasota to Spirit of St. Louis uh, was right at two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, so we were getting a good 375, 385 knots across the ground on most of that. Yeah. We dropped I, I never off did like you. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry? I never did like you. <laughs> I know. It's just not right. It's just not fair. Um, I'm not sure if you well, said, you know, did, I, I, David, what kind I of airplane is this? About it, but it, I'd hate to have to write the checks for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, David, what but kind of airplane? It was a 75-minute flight from Spirit of St. Louis into uh, – uh, Jabara Airport here in Wichita, and even the even with the the, the uh, two diversions, the the stop in Sarasota, the stop at uh, Spirit, uh, our in-flight elapsed time still was under five hours, mm -hmm. and yeah. I just am so in awe of that kind of capability in a, in a personal airplane. Yeah, say again, what kind of airplane it is? It was a Citation Mustang. Yeah. Uh, a, 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 that's the smallest jet Cessna's ever made that wasn't involved in military training. Yeah. So did you get you rode front, right seat? Is that what you did? Yes, sir. Yeah. Very nice. And was using the uh, the opportunity. I've flown with Jeff before. This trip, uh, I've always paid very close attention to how he operates the airplane, the steps it takes for him to light up the system, uh, get everything working, program the uh, Garmin. G1000 system, uh, use the menus. This time it was all against a, uh, it was all in a research mode for me against notes that I got flying a, a piston airplane system mm -hmm. while at Sonic Fun. Right. And I ended the whole experience just being even more impressed with the capabilities of this piston airplane system. Yeah. Because with the exception of WASP GPS redundancy, uh, the, this uh, retrofit system that I flew did everything that the G1000 did. Yeah, yeah. You talked about that system a bit on some of the podcasts we did from from uh, Sun and Fun. Yeah, uh, it's seeing it against what this airplane with this Mustang and and most of the upper end jets, you know, they're in the same league. Uh, what the navigating 
navigation system and the autopilot part of the flight management system can do together is just nothing short of amazing. That's why if I found a snake on the plane, I'd push the button. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, you got broke up there. What did you say? You'd do what? If I found a snake on the plane, I'd turn it on and push the button. <laughs> okay. Uh... So I saw this is a here's a story that I saw. I think I saw it just back or just at the very beginning of Sun and Fun, and it's kind of been sitting here for a while. Um, this is a I'm reading from AOPA Online uh, in their government advocacy you know section, uh, a story bylined by Jim Moore, who I don't know, but you guys probably do. The the first graph is uh, the FAA will not begin impo- imposing fees on third party providers of digital chart products April one as had once been contemplated. The agency announced March twenty third that there is no definite timetable to implement a new fee structure. Now, is this the fees and the fee structure and the digital chart products that was all the big scandal a couple a month or so ago because? You know, Runway Finder got shut down, and everybody was going to suddenly have to no. pay. This is something no. else. It's something. It's you're, you're you're confusing two different events. I think. Okay. Um. First of all, yes, this did sort of hit late last year slash a couple of months ago in 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 the scheme of things, where the FAA decided. You know, three or four years ago, the FAA decided that it was going to start making. Uh, available for free all of its all of its charting products in a digital format. And then a couple of, I don't know, let's, let's call it three or four, uh, five months ago, uh, the FAA said, ah, <laughs> we were just kidding. We're not going to do that anymore. We're <laughs> going to charge you for it now. Right. Um, that's completely different from the runway finder closure, which had something to do with a patent. No, no, no. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, Jeb, and that's not what I'm thinking of, all right? Okay. Runway Finder did, in fact, close down permanently about right. about three weeks ago, not because of the patent, well, not solely because of the patent thing. According to what he sa- Runway Finder guy says on his website, um, the, the sort of tipping point thing was the fact that he was going to have to start paying for, char- for charts. Um, I mean, it was all of a thing. There were definitely more factors involved. But w- runway, runway Finder aside, all right? So so now FAA is kind of going. Well, no, maybe we're not going to charge for chart data. Well, I don't. I don't think. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've seen an official announcement from the FAA to that effect. I, Dave, have you seen anything like that? I haven't seen a release, but I keep looking at this link that AOPA provided. Yeah, and, what uh, is it? It's, and it is to an FAA page. FAA developing digital charting products proposal dated March 23, so that's a little over a week ago. Right. Uh, late last year, the FAA developed a draft proposal to address security, safety, and cost recovery issues for paper and digital electronic products. The FAA's Aeronav Products directed hosted a session with authorized aeronautical chart agents, application developers, and representative stakeholder groups uh, like AOPA, Gamma, NBAA, yada, yada, on December 13, to gather feedback and ideas about the draft proposal. The FAA is now verifying cost and pricing for Aeronav products to help develop a final proposal, although the FAA has not set any date for completion of the final proposal or a timeline for implementation. The agency will keep the aviation community informed about its progress. How nice of them. I thought wow. so. Wow. That's, That's so that a cold reading, man. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, there's a couple more paragraphs of boilerplate. Uh-huh. But 
Jeb, please let me use the line, the question. You remember the question? Uh, but I, I, you, I, I made you call me. Go ahead. Why is the FAA like a 737? <laughs> because it rolls for no apparent reason. Except there's time. There's really an apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this is this gets back to, and I think we were talking. I think one of the, one of the episodes before uh, uh, before Sun and Fun, uh, we were talking about some policy topic, and um, is someone got onto this and was asking me, well, where do you where do you start the negotiations? Well, you start the negotiations by saying no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this this is a, a nuke them till they glow, screw them till they bleed kind of thing again. Um, I don't know what NBAA, AOPA, and Gamma and the rest of the alphabet soup is is doing or thinking or or saying to the FAA on on this topic. I really haven't been paying that much of attention. I, I have my suspicions. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, and what I'm, my suspicions, irrespective of what my suspicions are, um, the FAA is probably going to end up, you know, charging some some amount for these digital charting products that have been free of charge. And and I would point out that um, the the cost of distribution of digital charting products is is minimal to non-existent once the product is final and um and uh its production is quality assurance and production is is finished you put it on a server and and you go on and go do something else uh but there's an irony in this to my mind <laughs> there's an irony <laughs> ironies are irony is one of the words to use yes right. yeah go ahead david well, I remember a few years ago when uh, the Aero, what, what's now the AeroNav folks, the, the, the charting office folks, cut off a lot of small uh, dealers and resellers of paper charts right, because of the cost uh, of servicing their subscriptions exceeded the revenue that they generated in the wholesale payments to the FAA. Because like in most publishing institutions, the FAA would rebate them what they turned back with the cost of stuff that they turned back in right. and sold. Yeah. Well, isn't that odd? Because now when you'd like to have more people selling it, they've got fewer people selling it. And the cost of distribution, as Jeb just mentioned, is you know next to zip. I would think the more competitors and the lower costs that you could get involved in, in, in using this stuff, the more you would have people willing to pay for it. Right. And they are authorized to, to recoup you know, reasonable expenses for the cost of producing this. But now that paper's coming out of the loop, it's not completely out yet, but now that paper's coming out of the loop at, at a rapid rate, it's time to recalculate this with a, 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 a paper sum game of Whatever the laser plotter can print out for the records, and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's almost as if you know some some you know competitor out there is is you know kind of twisting the knife or telling FIA to to try to recoup 
uh, uh, some of its expenses here so that uh, the FAA won't be giving away its its charting products free and competing with that private yeah. entity. But I, I can't imagine such a thing, and I you know I can't imagine any private entities out there that would do such. No, a thing. Oh, that would never happen. that would never happen. Yeah. Well, this whole thing. Let me ask you a question here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I came across a guy at Sun and Fun last week who was talking about uh, uh, getting ramp checked and. The inspector not being interested in looking at his uh, uh, electronic flight bag as part of his quote unquote cockpit paperwork and insisted on seeing the appropriate sectionals or charts for the trip the guy was on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, VFR trip? I wasn't aware that there was a, an actual requirement for VFR only that you actually have to carry anything. Yeah. And then the guy no. says, oh, but you've got the electronic, but you also have to have paper for backup. No, you don't. And I'm going, wait a minute, time out. So all these airlines and all these outcome, uh, you know, business jet operators are going to electronic flight bags for the privilege of paying for the extra service So they, but it, when they still have to have paper backup? Well, those guys fly different airplanes. Beep. And that's when I knew that there was a blizzard in effect. Right. Oh, right. yeah. 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 There, well, there's a lot of blowing snow involved in that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the guy didn't have to show anything, did he? No, he didn't have to show anything. All he's got to show is um, uh, registration, airworthiness certificate. Right, the arrow document For the airplane. Right. Um, and his own certificates, pilot certificate and medical certificate. That's Wait, all now he I- has to show. Yeah. Now, if he's a 135 operation or a 121 operation, the rules change. Exactly. Uh, but a Part 91 operation, um, we just we just covered that. So. Right. Now, wait a minute. But the, so my training was that for a simple – even for a simple VFR flight, I needed a sectional. You're saying that's not the case. Show me that, show me that regulation. Well, I guess I'm going to have to do some research. But uh, this, <laughs> this wasn't based on me reading the regs. It was what, based on what my instructor told me a long, long time ago. Well, now, there's a difference between regulatory requirements and common sense requirements. Well, yeah, and, there's a, and there's a difference between what your fly school might require. Yeah, no, okay, but That's I'm talking, but, but, so, you know, there is a regulation that says that you've got to, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there's a regulation that says that you've got to, how do they put it, do, do you know, have, basically done the research about the flight, all right? Familiarize yourself with all aspects. There you go. Thank you. Um, not a direct quote. But one could make a case that, that if you don't have a sectional, you haven't done that, you know? Well, who let says me, you let might me have ask, great. You might have a photographic memory. Yeah, I know. Jeb, Jeb, let, Jeb? Me, let me ask you a question. Yeah, uh, my computer just went gonzo on a on a game I was finishing. Uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a question. If you're out with me, you're playing solitaire while we're doing the podcast. Uh, I, did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> free sale. It's free sale. Uh, um, if you're with me at Hidden River and we're doing pattern work, yeah, do we need a sectional? No, I guess not. Uh, you know, well. So I'll, let me let me make a confession. Okay, uh, one time I was flying up here in the, uh, in the sort of you know south central New Hampshire area between Sanford and Concord, New Hampshire, and that kind of area, and I knew the area pretty well. Um, and but I didn't have a sectional with me. All right, and I was arriving in the Concord area, and um, and somebody called in saying he was over the Concord VOR. All right. And and I didn't know where the Concord VOR exactly was, except that I knew it wasn't on the field. And so I I went I was 
I was about to go onto the radio and say, I'm unfamiliar. Can you tell me what direction that, that is from the airport? And I suddenly thought to myself, wait a minute. I, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm legal to do this without a sectional. I'm not going to confess on the radio. You're saying it wouldn't have been an issue. Um, the being I'm unprepared not saying, part might have been, but it wouldn't have depended on the paper. It, yeah, it, the, the lack of a, not having a sectional. I mean, if you're, if you're just out in a local area or doing something like that, uh, it, it's not a. It, you're not required. I, I, let me. Let me. Uh, um, <laughs> th- there's a di- the regulations that, uh, for Part 91 operators are um, minimum standards. Mm-hmm. Okay, they specify the minimum um, uh, effort if you will, that we should put into ensuring the safety and efficiency of our flight operations. There's nothing that prevents anyone from exceeding those minimum standards. Um, There is no regulation that says you have to carry a chart with you. Mm -hmm. There is a regulation that says you have to familiarize yourself with all relevant aspects of the flight. I'm sure there is FAA administrative case law that says that should include having a chart on board. Right. Okay. We could also include knowing what the minimum sector out the lowest. Uh, right. Uh, the, the lowest minimum sector altitude you got to deal with going across exactly. country. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It, it, you don't have to carry paper to do that. Yeah. It, it, again, if I'm if you're out in a local area around uh, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, um, and you 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 took off and you're going to go out to the practice area you can see the airport you took off from all the time and you go back and land at that airport um that's called pilotage yeah and well, uh it it's based on your local knowledge of the of the surrounding area the same thing would be true if we were down doing touch and goes at at uh, at hidden river or even for that matter flying over to venice because uh, it's kind of hard to to miss the Gulf of Mexico if you head west long enough. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, you, a little background here. Yeah. I was talking to a gentleman that was trying to sell me what is a new permutation on an old idea, charting products. And it had some clever aspects to it. And I confess that I hadn't carried paper since I got an electronic flight bag and learned how to keep it up to date online. Uh, not that I was flying so much that that was a big deal, but that had me covered. He goes, oh no no, you got to have paper backup. Go, whoop, time out. Tell me why. Oh well, it's required. Really? Who said? Well, he got ramp chip going into Sebring just ahead of the show there. Uh, he tried to show the inspector, you know, his paperwork, and he goes, so where's your chart? And he says, well, you know, how'd you, what do you got to fly here from where you came from? Scott tries to show him his little EFB. I think it was an iPad with flight on it, and. The inspector supposedly told him, no, you still have to have paper backup for that, at which point I'm, I'm about to lose the guy some customers that he thinks he's going to catch pitching me on why this is such an easy solution to back up your electronic flight back. He says, so you got to have something to back up in case the battery dies. I said, no, you don't. You don't even have to have the EFB if it's Part 91 and VFR. And at that point, half the crowd left. Oh, no, 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 that's not the regs. So we had fun for about 10 or 15 minutes, and at the end, there was nobody there talking to him but me, and he promised to get back to me when he found that regulation. 
Right. I ex- I expect he won't talk to me when I see him at Oshkosh. I know, yeah. Um, just to make to complete the story, just in my defense, let me be clear here. Um, prior to this flight where I arrived at Concord without a sectional, um, I had gotten a briefing by computer prior to leaving. I checked TFRs and that kind of thing. And, and using the computer, I had written down like headings and uh, frequencies at Concord and things like that. So I had all those notes. Before. So you'd familiarize yourself. You'd yes. follow the route. And also, I didn't take off realizing that I didn't have a sectional. I did only when I was in the air that I realized that I said you just ruined it all. How's that? Because I oh, I see. Because I should have known that. All right. Well, I thought I had the sectional. I thought it was in my bag. I had my flight bag. It was only after I was I was at cruise that I suddenly. A friend, friend of ours took Annie and me down to an airport in Oklahoma, where all the airplane salesmen wore white sans belt pants, white patent leather shoes, and came straight out of the nineteen seventies used car lot movie. And <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, except. You know, uh, when you're trying to sell me an airplane, you might want to assume that one in every five customers might have actually talked to the prior owner before he comes to see you. And anyway, <laughs> the guy giving us a lift on this trip uh, in his personal airplane, he's going to be my, you know, my initial purchase, pre-purchase inspection if we get that far. And uh, my, my bride, Annie, she's sitting up front right seat. And he goes, if you hand me a chart, I'll look for the uh, uh, the you know, frequencies. And he goes, oh, I don't need them. I know where they go. She goes, you don't have a chart? Oh, yeah, I got a chart. It's right there in the glove compartment. It was 11 years old. <laughs> and his first, we, she goes, you're flying around with 11-year-old charts? And he looked at her and grinned and says, but the towns don't move. That's right. That's right. They, they rarely relocate Vortex. But, but this, this comes in under the heading of, uh, you know, it's a shame we don't have a, a device or, or a system that would, you know, allow us to, when a question like this comes up, allow us to oh, go okay. out and, and research it in real time. Yeah, this is Jeb's current little rap like here. Like the okay. computer I'm sitting in front of? Yeah, okay. Like the computer we're all sitting in front of. So here we are with... with so with, did you look it up, Jeb? With FAR 91.103, yeah. titled Free Flight Action, uh-huh. I'm going to read this five-paragraph regulation. All right. Each pilot in command shall, before beginning a flight, become familiar with all available information concerning that flight. Okay. Ding. This information must include, A, for a flight under IFR or a flight not in the vicinity of an airport, weather reports and forecasts, fuel requirements, alternatives available if the planned flight cannot be completed, and any known traffic delays of which the pilot-in-command has been advised by ATC. Item B, for any flight, runway links at airports of intended use, and the following takeoff and landing distance information. One, for civil aircraft for which an approved airplane or rotorcraft flight manual containing takeoff and landing distance data is required, the takeoff and landing distance data contained therein. And two, for civil aircraft other than those specified in paragraph B1 of this section, other reliable information appropriate to the aircraft relating to aircraft performance under expected values of airport under expected values of airport elevation and runway slope, aircraft gross weight, and wind and temperature. Now, I have two points to make after having recited that regulation. Okay. Did you hear the word chart or map in there anywhere? Nope. 
good. Neither did I. The, The second thing is the phrase, a flight not in the vicinity of an airport. What does that mean? I don't know. None what of that you, applies if you stay in the pattern. What What is the vicinity of an airport? The, the pattern, based, right? The, the, I figure the, it's visual range myself. The that's, ATA. That's, that's the way I would answer that question. But that, of course, depends on the weather. Okay. Exactly. It's not a fixed number. It's not a fixed value. Um, depends on altitude. And it would be a bigger distance at night than during the day. That's right. It depends on altitude also, right? Okay. So there's there's some wiggle room in all this is the is kind of the punchline. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even need KY to wiggle. No, 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 no. Hey, listen, we're reaching the end of our allotted time. Uh and where Jack, is Samuel so really, really need him. I know. Um we got a couple shout outs here. Uh let's see now. Uh David, what's the story with this uh, summer camp at the uh, Kansas Aviation Museum? Well, uh they have three Four-day programs for first through fifth grade, sixth through eighth, and ninth through twelfth grades where the uh, campers can learn about flying, flying jobs, uh, get sim time, uh, tour a couple of airplane factories, uh, help build a plane at the restoration facility at the Kansas Aviation Museum, build and fly a model, uh, and go on a uh, flight uh, a discovery flight, and get a tour of McConnell Air Force Base where the uh, KC-135 aerial tankers are based. Um, a, a very large number of them fly out of there on a regular basis and meet some of those pilots. That's the KansasAviationMuseum.org. Uh, it's about 250 bucks per camper. Uh, they got to bring a bag lunch. This may be something that you want come into town and while this child is going to uh, uh, the uh, aviation summer camp, you can tour all the wonderful attractions of Wichita. Yeah. Very cool. Hutchinson. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, the shout out I want to make here is uh, actually on behalf of all three of us, I'm sure, uh, to our uh, a, a very, very good friend of this podcast, Tom Poberesny of uh, EAA, um, who has uh, had left EAA uh, uh, some months back and, uh, and, and sort of dropped out of sight from my perspective anyways. The news came out the other day that he's got a, a new gig, kind of an exciting sounding gig. Uh, this is from reading from a story on the GA News website. Tom Poberesny joins Citation. Jet Pilots Owner Pilot Team. Tom Poberesny, Chairman Emeritus of the Experimental Aircraft Association, has joined the leadership team of the Citation Jet Pilots Owner Pilot Association, serving as Vice President of CJP Events and Programs and Chairman of the 2012 CJP Convention in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, in September. So we just want to congratulate Tom, uh, who has been very supportive uh, of what we do at the podcast and what we do with the newspaper uh, at AirVenture. Um, on on this new gig and uh sounds like something that'd be fun it seems well, different uh, than uh, yeah jet- i got to visit with some citation jet pilot owner members at uh at, at sun and fun and they were fairly fired up about the prospect of tom joining the organization and uh having him at Coeur when they uh meet there later this year so yeah. Seems to have gotten off on a strong start yeah it sounds like a cool thing our congratulations to him and we wish him the best uh David um, and Jeb, David, uh, give, you, give you, one to Jeb. 
Okay, well, I, and I want to come back to this uh, Dave S. one here. Jeb, do you have something other than the Dave S. one? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of uh, little things here real quick, real quickly. Uh, first of all, my flight up here on, on Monday, I'm, I'm droning along and I'm listening to the center talking to a guy and and center controller's telling this jet, says, you know, look, I don't know if this is real or not, but I got to tell you about it. says, I got a guy, I, I got a target um, at your 12 o'clock for 10 miles, um, um, maneuvering, squawking 1,200, mode C is showing 18,500 feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My ears perk up. And the controllers, you know, the, the, the jet saying, "Well, you know, I don't have anything on TCAS," and and the controller's like, "Yeah, I think it's, I'm not sure what the problem is," and and I uh, just, you know, I got to tell you about it and be advised, and you know, let me know if you see anything on TCAS. And then jet jet crew says, "Yeah, okay, fine," and that's pretty much the, the end of it for about ten minutes. And uh, I'm droning along and droning along and just getting the snot kicked out of me, and controller comes on and says, yeah, five ones here. You got time for you know, chat with me for a second? I say, yeah, go ahead. What's the problem? Says, you're coming up on such and such an airport um, and um, I'm I'm showing a transponder just north of that airport uh, doing some maneuvering uh, but the mode C on that, on that aircraft is indicating 18.5. Can, can you, any chance you could switch over to, to the local CTAF there and and broadcast in the blind and see if anybody's in the area uh, uh, maneuvering, doing some practice. And I said, yeah, I'll be happy to check on that. So I said, well, you know, I'll call you right back when I when I come back on the frequency. He says, all right, fine. So I switched over to CTAF and made a couple of calls in the blind and finally got uh, somebody to response. Yeah, we're you know we're out here doing such and such and said, so, well, I don't know if it's you and, and it doesn't really matter. But Center asked me to pass along that. You know, your mode C is indicating eighteen five. It's like for you to kind of like turn it off. And there was some other guy in the in the in the in the mix here and headed southbound. And we we missed each other and all this kind of thing. But um, uh, I just I just thought the whole thing was kind of funny. Just a little shout out to the to the DC Center controller for for uh, <laughs> having to put up with all that nonsense. Um, but uh, I, and my other one here is I. I absentmindedly, you know, clicking through Facebook here while David's talking as I want to do. And I come across a page on Facebook that's called PACA International. P-A-C-A International. P-A-C-A stands for Pilots Against Cirrus Aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and, and the, 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 the way I found out about this was a post about someone, you know, taxiing an SR-22 and, of course, you know, as, as, um, the, the Cirrus aircraft don't have steerable nose wheels, so people occasionally will will ride the brakes on these things. And there's an AD on on checking the brakes and and what. Anyway, the brakes on these have caught fire in the past, and and some some couple of airplane. I think a couple of aircraft have gotten lost because of this. But uh, um, keyed me over to this 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 web page on Facebook, and there's a whole bunch of nice little Photoshop work going on here, uh, including uh, uh, an Angry Birds game going on 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 the PFDs and and all this kind of stuff. It's it's very very cute. Someone's got some imagination, and I just wanted to kind of shout that out. So, and I, I'm, I'm done. 
Okay, that sounds good. So are, so are you saying that our Cirrus, there was a period of time where, where uh, pilots were, were a little down, I thought anyways, on VTL Bonanzas. Uh, uh-huh. Because, uh-huh. you know, they judged that the people yeah. who could afford that complex an airplane, that expensive airplane, didn't a, really a, know. Yeah. Is a fork-tailed Dr. Killing Wigglebird. Exactly right. Yeah. So are we saying are Cirrus the new VTL Bonanzas in that regard? I, well, that question's the, been debated. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the first time that question's been asked. And um, um, I'm not here to, to decide that issue. Okay. Uh, one, I think one last shout-out. I'm going to ask – I'm going to set it up for you, David. Uh, on the final night of Sun and Fun, after Jeb and I had left the grounds and you stayed around for one more night, um, you and our friend Dave Shellbetter, the chairman of Sun and Fun Radio, attended uh, a gathering uh, that evening. And, uh, and something very cool happened at that gathering. Can you tell us uh, what happened? Sure. Uh, it, was the, uh, it was essentially the wrap-up party for the volunteers and the Sun and Fun, uh, Sun and Fun officials who made the whole week happen for all of us who came in to to attend and uh the uh, uh what do they call it the tail dragger party uh kind of appropriate considering how hard everybody's worked and after a few little formalities by the new uh head guy uh lights lean house uh the new chairman bob knight got got up and uh gave a few words and then proceeded to hand out 10 what they call chairman awards, which are given to the volunteers deemed uh, meritorious uh, with a long history, good service, and all that. They're nominated by their peers. The list is pared down. When it gets to 10, that's where they stop. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to put this Dave in... Sh- I'm sorry, just to put this in context, um, there are thousands of volunteers that are involved in putting on Sun and Fun. Ten of them get recognized this way. And who got recognized? Uh, there are more than 3,000 involved this year alone. Yep. Uh, and our friend Dave Shawbetter was announced, uh, the Sun and Fun radio chairman received the chairman's award, as did another old friend, not as old as. Mr. Shawbetter, uh, but Ken Diefenbach at the media headquarters also received a chairman's award. Uh, for Dave, I believe this was Dave's 33rd or 34th Sun and Fun, and it's worth keeping in mind that this was the 38th Sun and Fun. Right, right. So congratulations to Dave. Uh, I, I know no one who more deserved it, and uh he was uh, really not expecting that. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah n- no one with whom I'm familiar at, at Sun and Fun certainly uh, deserves it more than Dave. I, I couldn't agree more. He, he, he does a tremendous job, and, and, uh, um, and, and it's been difficult for him, particularly over the last couple of years, because for years he did it as part of a team of leaders mm-hmm. at Sun and Fun Radio, and, and he tragically lost both of his co-leaders uh, in, one, in the span of one year, and that was very, very difficult for him. And and and. He he just kept on and and he does this thing and it's a tremendous service to the uh, to the uh, attendee community um, and he's been a terrific friend to us at the podcast um, and so I agree richly richly deserved and we congratulate Del- Dave Shellbetter and everyone who uh, earned a, a chairman's award this year and and, and uh, to make note of what Dave himself uh, would say that uh, he had a superb crew of volunteers this year. I don't think the station operation, uh, I don't think I've ever seen it run better or more smoothly. 
uh, and with less trauma than it did this year. So, uh, you know, that, that kind of good work uh, isn't done alone, and Dave would be the first to tell you that he shares that award with his volunteers. Yep. Time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, let's see now. Uh, J- uh, I, I don't know. I've done this only 280 times. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, don't worry. We're patient. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, we, we, you know, we'll put pause or push pause or something? Yeah, well, you know, I'll just edit it. I'll make it, I'll make it sound... pronounced pause. Yeah, I'll make it sound genius later on. Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Anything you can tell us about? Well, I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches on uh, the May issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. A couple of really good stories in there. And uh, Bob Wright, who uh, formerly was the uh, – uh, he's retired now, but formerly was the lead um, executive in the GA um, in, in general aviation at uh, the FAA, been writing some articles for me. And he's got a nice little piece in there uh, comparing and contrasting um, – Two two different pilots, uh, one of whom is is by the book and complies with all the regulations down to the letter, um, versus someone who, yeah, you know, um, is 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 doing it right, but uh, maybe doesn't have all the regs uh, uh, regulations T's crossed and I's dotted, and and uh, as I say, it's a kind of a compare and contrast thing, and. Kind of asking the reader to to make the judgment on whose uh, whose approach is better. So it'd be it's, sort of like be sort of like the guy who arrives overhead Concord, New Hampshire, without a sectional. It's kind of like that. Um, even though uh, uh, that's that's not the example we use in the article. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> anything and else? So, uh, go so ahead. there's that, and of course I'm here for for the Aircraft Electronics Association, and and whatever uh, I come up with uh, uh, out of this event will be in their June issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's AviationSafetyMagazine.com and AEA.net. And uh, I pop up occasionally on uh, avweb.com as well as, uh, I guess, jeburnside.com, although I haven't been there in a while. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything we can take a look at? Uh, Let me think here. It's been so long since we were last together. Uh do have a little piece coming out in that, I uh, believe, in that uh, publication Mr. Burnside's working on. Some uh, stuff coming up in World Aircraft Sales Magazine, something coming up in the May Avionics News, and have a story in the April one. I just can't remember what it is at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, we, we were hanging out at Sun and Fun, and you, you're just like one of the busiest writers in aviation right now, it seems. I don't know. That's probably not totally true, but you you got a lot of things on your plate these days. Well, I'm I'm blessed with a nice uh, variety of uh, of clients that let me exercise my brain in this business at uh, at all sorts of different levels, and in in a variety of topic areas. And I value that highly because I have the attention span of a six year old. <laughs> so, uh, where can we find those things and other things like you on the internet? Well, other things like me, you probably don't want to go looking for your spam fighter. We'll probably clean them I'm out. I'm anyway. sitting here shaking my head as I said those words. <laughs> what in the world? Penicillin. Uh, penicillin. Where are you on the internet, David? 
avbuyer.com, AEA.net on Avionics News. Uh, 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 if you belong to NBAA, uh, sometimes in the Business, NV, business Aviation Insider. Uh, or, you know, just take a wild shot and read some of the old stuff. It's, it's fun, too. Mm. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 1, uh, The Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. Uh, you can, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm soon to put out a, uh, just a little thing that I put together that's long overdue, but I'm going to put it out anyways, of some interviews that I did back in January when we were at the Sebring LSA show. Um, I interviewed about a half a dozen uh, individuals there about some of the airplanes and about the show, and I'm finally getting that together. So that'll be out in uh, in Amazon in the next, hopefully, well, certainly within the next month, I hope, knock on wood. And volume two of Around the Field should be out in the next month or two as well. So you can, uh, but whatever it is I've got available on Amazon, you can check it out at amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. And in general, you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for all the other help that he gives us on the podcast. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. There's that cat again. Uh, we are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? I wondered, have you ever been stung by a dead bee? There's only one way to get as old as Walter Brennan, and that's to go fly, because remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Have you ever danced with the devil in a pale moonlight? <laughs> uh, to have and have not, by the way, right? Yes. 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 Yeah, Walter Brennan. Did it be? Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan. Plays Eddie. Yep. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.